Welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast. I'm Jen Stevens. I'm a retired teacher, the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, and I love nothing more than building community. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've spent my life helping others through my work in healthcare and as a volunteer for various organizations. We are friends who share a love of learning, problem solving, and bringing people together. Each week, join us as we share inspiring stories and bring you new ideas designed to help you live your best life. So now let's learn something new, get inspired and have some fun. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm wonderful. I am so glad. I'm on a little girl's trip with my best friend from back home. I love that. We came to, um, well, I guess it's Kentucky Lake. We're in Buchanan, Tennessee, and we are at this lodge around the lake. It's beautiful. I'm sitting here looking out the sliding glass door on the water right now and it's fabulous. Yeah. You texted me a beautiful photo and this morning of it. And you're right. There's just, so, you said something beautiful about There's waking up to, um, to water, water. And you're exactly yeah. right. Water is Love magical. It. it really is. It's so, for me, it's like healing. So it's, much. It calms me. Mm-hmm. I'm a water person though. Anyway, well, um, so I have this good news story this week. It was shared by Danica in Utah. I love this story. It is about a Florida man who is on a mission to spread love and compassion by walking across the United States with a sign that simply states, Love Life. So Steve Fugate, age 76, is currently on his ninth trip across the U.S. on foot. He first walked in 2001 after losing his son to suicide, and so rather than turning inward in his grief, he took to the road. A few years later, he lost his daughter to an accidental overdose of prescription pills, and he again took to the road. He hopes to encourage others to embrace and love life no matter what adversities they may face. He says, if you love life, you're not going to take your life. You've got to love life no matter what comes at you. He started this walk in February of this year, and he plans to walk to Oregon. He walks between about 7 to 14 miles per day, just depending on weather and terrain, and then he takes two days to rest um, every few days. So over the years, he says he has talked with many people who were suicidal or had family members who were suicidal, and he feels that if he has saved just one life, his sacrifices are worth it. So Steve used to refuse any help to make his cross-country treks, but he has come to appreciate a hotel room here and there and a place to do laundry on occasion, as well as any incidentals and supplies he needs. And he realized, he said, that by not accepting help when it was offered, that he was jeopardizing his ability to spread his message to those in need. So if anybody wants to help fund any cost associated with his walks, he asks that people support him by buying his book about his travels on Amazon, and it's called Love Life Walk. And I went ahead and put a link in show notes if you want to check that out. And I also included his Facebook page where he updates daily about his travels and the people he's met along the way. And it's just a really inspiring Facebook page. I followed it immediately. So I love that. And, you know, there's some there's some important information in there for everybody to hear where he says, you know, 
not accepting help when offered didn't help spread his message. But I think that we all don't accept help that we should accept. Like, you're probably like me. Someone offers to help. You're like, oh, no, I've got it. I got it. I got it. Mm -hmm. You know, and instead say thank you and let them help you. Yeah. You could tell, like, from his writing that he's a very proud man and he, like, didn't want to depend on people. Like, he didn't. Right. Like, yeah, he he felt like this was something he had to do. But, yeah, he did realize, like, okay, if I don't accept help, I may not be able to continue doing this. But people who are offering to help want to help. Exactly. That's that's, – by saying, no, I got it, you are keeping them from giving you the gift they were trying to give you by helping you. Yes. And so, like, the thing that I noticed on his Facebook page is, like, he he has a laptop where he posts his daily travels on, and his laptop broke. And he posted about that. Or he called somebody and told them that. And this person got in the car and drove to where he was currently and brought him a new laptop or something. Or So, yeah. Anyway, it was it's a fun story. I liked that one. Well, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, I want to take a minute to tell you about a company that helps make the podcast possible, and that is Beauty Counter. So as I mentioned, I'm on vacation with my best friend, and one of the things she said when she first saw me was how great my skin looked. Of course, that made me feel good because my skin and dark spots have been something I've battled since my 30s. I had sunscreen allergies when I was younger, so I wasn't able to put sunscreen on my face, and as I aged, it showed. But with continuous use of Beauty Counter's counter timeline and all bright products, my skin has never looked better, and I only have a few little spots of hyperpigmentation left. A couple of weeks ago, this same friend told me she was ready to start migrating her beauty routine and makeup over to Beauty Counter as she is becoming much more aware of what she is using on her body as she struggles to balance her hormones. She was really unsure picking a foundation color, so I helped her and she was so excited when it arrived and it was a perfect match. If you want to get started out but you are intimidated or you're unsure of how or where to start, email me and I can help you get started too. Picking foundation color for clients is my superpower. So you can shop at beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock, or you can message me directly at Sherry at lifelessonscommunity.com, and I am happy to help anybody. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. Did you know that breast cancer is the most common cancer in American women, second only to skin cancer? In America, one in eight women will develop breast cancer but you do not have to leave this diagnosis to fate because there are preventative measures that you can take today to reduce your risk. Today, we are joined by Dr. Jennifer Simmons. She was one of the leaders in breast surgery and cancer care in Philadelphia for 17 years before she pivoted her focus to treating patients with a more functional approach, helping them find health rather than just treating illness. She joins us today to discuss all things breast health and share the things that you can do today to prevent a breast diet cancer diagnosis later. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Can I although, call you that? Although if you call me Jennifer, I think I'm in trouble. So Uh-oh. we have to call you Jen, J-E-N-N. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 
right. I know you as Jen, J E N, and not to be confused with G I N me. Exactly. But don't call me Virginia. I'm Virginia. So, (laughs) although you know, if you're Cher, you might need to say Virginia and Jennifer just so we'll know. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you that I I just automatically crouch when I hear Jennifer. Jennifer, all I can think of is like, oh God, what did I do? Yeah, I get it. That was my, my in trouble name. Jennifer. Oh God. Yeah. So yeah. before we get into um, your background and your story today, um, what is the overall lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? Just like the, you know, your brief statement of, of what you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to breast health is health. Yeah. That, we that's it. One person, we have one system. And if you are looking for breast health, then you are looking for health. We don't separate them. They're one in the same. And we have been so conditioned to kind of um, uh, outsource our health, right? We, we've been told that it's not in our control. We're reliant on doctors and hospitals and the system for our health. And that's really been our downfall because there's no doctor that can be the hero of your story. There's no hospital experience that's going to make you healthy. Health happens at home. And the only person that can make you healthy is you. Yes. You have to be your own healthcare advocate. Without health advocate, let's say. Now, a lot of people take objection to that statement because... They feel as if I'm putting too much pressure on the patient, that they shouldn't have to be their own doctor. So don't misunderstand. I think you can have a trusted guide, and that is the function in which I operate. Sorry for the pun, because I did (laughs) spend 17 years as a cancer surgeon, but now I operate as a trusted guide. I love that. And, you know, we just had Tabitha on, Dr. Tabitha Barber, and, you know, similar. I love her. That's the gynecologist. We love her. But similar to you, she started off in traditional OBGYN and made the transition to functional medicine because she knew that the the system she was operating from, that she was trained in, knew that there was a better way to focus on root cause prevention health versus now we're in the disease state. I'm on vacation with a friend right now, and her and I both work in healthcare. And, um, you know, she's in her early 40s and she's trying to sort of navigate her hormones and, you know, she's not feeling like herself and, you know, she's not getting the doctors to really pay attention to her when she goes in there. And then she's got her husband who's, you know, struggling with his blood sugars. But, you know, until he's full-fledged diabetic, nobody really wants to do anything. They're like, oh, we can't do that because you're not diabetic. Yeah, And that was well, the problem you know, I that- had with my husband. And she said, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to say I work in healthcare now because we wait till people are sick to treat them. Well, that's because we don't have a healthcare system. We have a sick care system. Yes. And nowhere in medical education, and I don't care if you're a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant, a nutritionist, a physician, like it doesn't matter. Whatever formal training you got never taught you to help people to be healthy. Mm -hmm. It never taught you the signs that their health is failing. The only thing that we are taught to recognize is failure. That's it. 
And so until you fail, they have nothing to offer you. Right. And if you think about it, the only way to get into the system is to fail. So I'm sure that your friend, her story is like everyone else's story. You go to the doctor. I don't feel well. I don't feel right. I know something's wrong. And what happens? The doctor does labs, right? Mm -hmm. And they come back. And what does the doctor tell you? You're fine. Everything's normal. Normal range. Now, they might not say everything looks great, but they do say you're fine, right? Right. That is the line of fine. They put you on the line of fine, and you know that you're not fine. So I have a friend who... um, went to her doctor and she asked for um, maybe a fasting glucose, a fasting insulin, an A1C, and a high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys know yep. what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah. And her doctor said, what do you need those for? And my friend said, well, you know, I have this friend and she's a functional medicine doctor and she told me that I need to know those things to see if I'm healthy or not. And the doctor said, those things are not necessary. <laughs> we hear but that all the time. Cause my I, doctor told me I could not get a fasting insulin because I was not a diabetic. Right. I, or, or we've I actually have had to be a diabetic. They serve. only wait for you yeah. to be a diabetic. We, right. we advise people, you know, because we're in the intermittent fasting community, we t- advise people that it's really helpful to know your fasting insulin level and they'll go to their doctors and try to get it. And their doctor said, that doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. And this is what we're dealing with. And the yeah. problem is that like begets like. Yeah. So who is training the next generation of physicians? The same people that are out there practicing now saying that you don't need a fasting insulin. You don't need a, an well, sometimes they order an A1C, but they don't even know what it means. And they they won't, they're not checking high sensitivity C-reactive protein. So like they don't even know what these things mean. They don't know what they're following and they don't know why to follow it. So right. if that is who's training our next generation of physicians, it just goes on and on and on. And the system is perpetuating itself. And meanwhile, we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And well, to be exactly. clear, it is a training problem, right? Like the, it's not that the doctors don't want to help their patients. Doctors desperately want to help. They just haven't been trained in how. Yeah. And they just simply don't know. Right. right? So if you have a hammer, you're going to find a nail. Yeah. And they just don't have a full toolbox. They're not trained. They don't have it. You know, um, just like backing up a little bit to my story, I spent 17 years as a breast cancer surgeon and I did a little uh, other cancers too. I did a little thyroid and a little melanoma, but mostly I, I was treating breast cancer. And it wasn't until I became a patient that I realized how broken the system was. Because when I was living and operating within the system, again, pardon the pun, But when I was within the system, it's impossible to see the forest through the trees. Right. Because when you're stuck in there and you're doing your job that you're trained to do and doing it well, you think you're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. And you do not realize until given some perspective that, holy shit, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Yeah. 
Well, like, you're doing a great job within the current paradigm, but you know, we call it healing arts. It's not, it's no longer healing arts. It's, it's treatment arts, right? Well, we're, but it's really not, I, I would say, people. I would say that it's not even art because artistry speaks to unique mm-hmm. individual and there is nothing unique or individual about our system. Yeah, but even even that bothers me because, like, the preponderance of the evidence isn't even needed, right? So a new chemotherapeutic drug will come onto the market if it helps 8% of the people it was trialed on. 92% of the people, it doesn't help. And yet that drug will get approved. Wow. So what made you change? What what shifted you? What was that turning yeah. point? So here I am like faced with surgery and chemo radiation. And I said, uh, n- no, I, I just can't believe that God would give me an organ only for man to destroy it. Like it didn't make any sense. And it was something that I did every single day. It was your own own personal cancer diagnosis. It was my own diagnosis Mm -hmm. that I, I I still to this day have no idea. I mean, maybe it's God or universe or divine intervention, but essentially what happened is that I walked out, my my doctor, who was my friend and colleague, said, you know, this is against medical advice. You know, this is against standard of care. And I said, I knew. And of course, he said, you know, you're going to die. And I said, you know, maybe, but I something just doesn't feel right. Right. And so I started to go on a personal healing journey. And... I go to Dr. Google because I figure like I'm a pretty educated consumer. So maybe I'll be able to navigate this. And on Dr. Google, I see time and time again, like I Googled how to heal yourself naturally. And of course, there's references again and again and again to diet, 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 diet. Now, I wasn't overweight. So I figured I knew everything I needed to know about nutrition. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so um, I decided that, you know, maybe there was something there. Maybe I could use some more education as a um, traditionally trained medical doctor in this country. I had the minimum amount of education around nutrition. So 15 hours in my first year of medical school, which you can imagine as a fellowship trained surgeon, 15 hours is a very small fraction of the time that I was educated over my 11 year education period. So um, I first enrolled in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I went through that program, by the way. I mean, like all, I have four health coaches. They all went through that program. Like it's an excellent, excellent program. But as I'm heading in, I'm heading in as like a doctor for 20 years and my snooty booty self. Like what could I possibly have to learn from a certificate program? Right. So one of the first lecturers is a man named Mark Hyman. Uh-huh. So Mark Hyman comes on stage. He introduces himself as a functional medicine physician. So here I am, I'm a doctor for 20 years. I say, 
there's no such thing as a functional medicine physician. What is this quack talking about? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And then I remember that I'm sick, that I'm there for a reason. And then I should check my ego at the door and like shut my internal voice up and listen. And I did. And within five minutes of him speaking, my entire life makes sense. Wow. And I know that the reason that I got sick was so that I can be in that room on that day, in that seat to listen to him. I just got goosebumps. Me too. Yeah. Well, I had it all wrong, right? Mm -hmm. We all, until we were enlightened, we all had it all wrong because in the area of cancer, first of all, what you focus on grows, right? Mm -hmm. So our entire medical approach to cancer, what are we focused on? The tumor. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're just kind of helping people grow the tumor. In addition, the tumor isn't the problem. The tumor is the symptom of the problem. And nowhere in the traditional medical approach do we ever talk about why someone got breast cancer. Our body is the host for that disease. Well, breast cancer is a normal response to an abnormal environment. Right. And nowhere are we ever talking about or considering what is disturbing that ecosystem. What is causing that imbalance? What is causing that chemical shift? What is causing those cells? Because, you know, breast cancer cells are not foreign cells. These are our cells responding to this environmental shift. And there are so many things in our environment that can lead to this. And we're never talking about them. Go into some of that for us. You know, I, no, I, I have a book called Cleanish where I talk about eating mostly clean, living mainly clean, and unlocking your body's natural ability to self-clean. And yeah. I did a real deep dive into, you know, what we're putting on our bodies, what we're putting in our bodies, what we're surrounding ourselves with in our home. And and it was very eye-opening to me. So talk about it from the, the cancer perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that there are, when most people ask their physician, why did they get breast cancer? What's the physician's answer? It's just bad luck. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just, you know, a bunch of things that happened at, over your lifetime, and it's really just bad luck. So they take the control away from the patient, and that patient believes that there's nothing they can do. Even, even the genetic component has been played up way, way, way too much. Yeah. Now there are, there are genes that have been identified like the BRCA1 gene and the BRCA2 gene that do increase your risk of getting breast cancer because those are tumor repair genes. And so if you are born with a mutation or an alteration in those genes, you have a more difficult time. Um, fighting off cancer, for lack of a better word. And what's happening is that, um, you know, absolutely everyone makes cancer cells, young, old, and everyone in between. But our immune system, when it is operating the way that it's supposed to operate, 
it is able to keep those cells at bay. It's able to say like, no, you can't proliferate. No, you, you can't repair. We're going to get, we're going to get rid of you. And that it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Right. But there are many people who just believe that they're just destined to get breast cancer. My mother had breast cancer. My sister had breast cancer. Like whatever it is, they don't even have the BRCA gene. And what they don't think about is the reason your mother had breast cancer, your aunt, your sister, you all grew up in the same environment, mm-hmm. right? You're doing the same things, living the same way, thinking the same way, right? This is what drives cancer because again, it's a normal response to an abnormal environment. So when we think about the things that drive this environmental shift, taking us from the chemistry of joy to the chemistry of stress, you know, we can start there. We live our lives in a sympathetic state. We are not meant to live our lives in a sympathetic state. We are not built for this. We are modern beings living on a very old gene code, very old. Our genes have not changed in thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? Which is why we look the same and our genes haven't changed. So if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, when you come out of the cave in the morning, and actually this is a lot in your space, and I talk about this a lot. When you come out of the cave in the morning and you encounter a saber-toothed tiger, what happens? You get that sympathetic surge. You get that cortisol surge. It releases, you know, floods your system with glucose so that you can run, 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 run. And you either get away from the tiger or you die. Right, right. But we are not built to run away from the tiger for three hours or three weeks or three months or three years. But guess what? Our lives today are filled with saber-toothed tigers. Mm -hmm. So instead of having that sympathetic surge quick and over with, and then coming back to a parasympathetic state, we're living in that sympathetic state. Mm -hmm. Guess Mm -hmm. what? That's the chemistry of stress. So we are bathing ourselves in stress all the time. So what's the antidote to that? First of all, you got to get out of that sympathetic state. You have to. You have to. You have to realign your life with that parasympathetic rest and repair state. Because if you don't do it, it's going to get done for you. That's and what, what are some ways see. people can do that? You know, like meditation, just taking absolutely some- build your toolbox. Mm-hmm. Meditation, yoga, breathing techniques. There are so many great breathing techniques that you can do anywhere that are free. Right. 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 But the other thing is, like, sometimes you need to take the trash out. If you're living in an awful relationship, you need to get out. Mm-hmm. If you are working a job that's making you miserable, it's time to change. And I know these things are not easy. And I'm not saying it matter-of-factly because I know how difficult that is. But the bottom line is you have to decide. You have to pick your heart. Yeah, right. There's that meme that says create a life that you don't have to take a vacation from. And I think about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like if you constantly think, I need to escape this, sure that I, need, 
But- I need to, you know, I need to <laughs> numb the evening away because my day was so stressful or whatever. Like numbing and escaping isn't the answer. Recreating your life is the answer. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't mean that you don't need a break from that life right? every now and again, right? I mean, you know, I love what I do and my life is filled with great purpose. And believe you me, I love being on vacation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? I love vacation. I love to turn it off. I love to not have to be in constant creation mode, uh-huh. always be serving others. Like right. there is a time and a place, right? So it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to create that life that you want to live that every single day, 365 days a year. But most of the time you need to be really happy and fulfilled in that space. Right. And you, you know, I say God put us all here with intention, right? But I'm not supposed to be the best version of Sherry and I'm not supposed to be the best version of Jen. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be the best version of me and serve my purpose. And Sherry, your purpose is your purpose. Jen, your purpose is your purpose. Right. And no, you don't have to be a, an author. You don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be a star. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a healer. You don't have to be, you have to be you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so some people, you know, that that's going to mean that they are wonderful, committed parents. Some people, they're going to be athletes. Like it doesn't matter. It's just whatever you were meant to be. Now, some people struggle with that very issue and that I can't help you with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just find find what brings you joy and and lean into that. So when you, let's circle back to that. You're sitting there at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. You hear Mark Hyman. You're like, what is this functional medicine? What did you take from that? And how did that change how you treated your own breast cancer? Yeah. What what path you went down? So I, um, I'm an early adopter. (laughs) <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, you know. so um, I actually left that day and enrolled in the Institute for Functional Medicine. Love it. So at one time, I'm a full-time surgeon. I'm a full-time student in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, a full-time student at the Institute for Functional Medicine. I'm running the cancer program for my hospital. I'm a wife, a mother, a stepmother, an athlete. I, like I had a lot of stuff going on. And you're battling cancer. Uh, right. Well, I had I had Graves' disease, to be clear, but it's oh, treated okay. exactly like okay. thyroid cancer, and uh-huh. it's life threatening. Yep. So it did take me three years to heal, and I'm not going to tell you that I didn't have some scary moments because I did, right? But I just trusted that God put me on a path. And that I was going to be okay as long as I followed my my belief system. And so um, that's really what happened. And the people that I have been introduced to along the way, I know this is divine intervention and with great intention. Right. And so there's a reason why I met Mark Hyman that day. There's a reason why I met Terry Walls, because... Just two years, maybe just two years after that, I started to develop the symptoms of MS. 
And because it's an autoimmune disease, these things tend to go together. Right. Well, I know that God has put people in my path for, for great reason and intention. And so remember, I started this to heal me. And it wasn't until years later when I kind of said, what, what am I doing here? And I actually have a, a, I remember the moment, the day that I resigned from surgery because I had a 19 year old come see me. She had a breast mass and she was wheeled into my office by her mother because her MS was so progressed that she couldn't walk the 30 feet from the elevator to my office. And I had just met Terry Walves the Mm -hmm. week before. So here I am like brimming with excitement to share Terry Walls and the Walls protocol with this 19-year-old because she's going to have a new lease on life. She's going to be able to walk again. She's going to be able to reverse her disease. And I'm going on and on and on with like giddy schoolgirl excitement. And she puts her hand up and says to me, are you going to do my biopsy or not? Wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, not everyone wants my help. Right. And not everyone wants to help themselves. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people that just want the surgery, that right. just want the chemo, that just want to take the pill, that just want to not be responsible for their health. Because well, we've been trained that way. We've been trained as health consumers and you go to the, you know, you take your child to the pediatrician and you expect to walk away with a prescription, you know, and you expect mm-hmm. that it's going to fix right. this. And, yeah. and instead of like, no, you might actually have to change what you're feeding your child. You know, I went through mm-hmm. that with my son who had mm-hmm. behavioral problems based yeah. on chemicals in his foods. And mm-hmm. instead of a prescription, we changed everything we ate at our home and it was not easy, but it, it's hard. It's harder to do the deep work. So I, I imagine you changed the way you eat. I changed the way I eat significantly. Um, and despite my belief that I knew enough about nutrition because I wasn't overweight, I shortly realized that the reason that I wasn't overweight is because my eating was so disordered. So I had figured out how to control my weight when I was a freshman in college, because um, I ran into someone over summer break between freshman year and sophomore year, and she like had lost 30 pounds and looked amazing. And I said, what, what are you doing? And she said, I just don't eat after six. So she, without realizing it, taught me how to do Time, restri- time restricted eating, which you know I love because of course. <laughs> so I, you, I mean, I think you coined it, right? Right. So I learned to fast then, but in between my fasts, I was eating horribly. Yeah, yeah, horribly. So yes, I was able to control my weight. Now I have had periods where I've been up and down because I've had periods where I stopped 
doing that, like shortly after I got married and I was eating dinner every night with my husband and we both got big as a house. Right. And, you know, I totally threw caution to the wind with my pregnancies. And so, you know, I think I like stopped getting on the scale after I gained 65 pounds with my first pregnancy. So, you know, there have been moments in my history Um, But really the trigger for my illness was mold Mm -hmm. and I didn't know about it. But I learned to fast all those years ago. Love it. I learned to fast in college. Yeah. So um, So you started focusing on nutrition and and how did you change up your nutrition? I know Mark Hyman is big on real food, eat real food. Yeah. So... I am a real food person through and through Um, with very rare exception. There are some people who are um, deep down the line into their cancering and they just need some medical foods for support. Right. um, Because they literally just can't get the calories in. Otherwise, you know, that aside, I am a real food person and like, if a three-year-old can't tell you what it is, you should not be eating it. And like, you know, them telling you it's a gummy bear doesn't count, right? Like (laughs) if they, if they don't recognize where it is and where it comes from, you should not be eating it. So I originally used to say, you know, if it grew in the ground, fell from a tree, walked, swam, or flew, you can eat it. Now I have even more rules around that because our farming industry has just like gone to shit. So um, you you can't eat all of the animals because so many of them are horribly unsafe. Right. And you can't eat all the fish because the farmed stuff is awful and inflammatory Mm -hmm. and the big stuff is full of mercury. So my rules now are whole food, plant-based, grain-free, and we can... I, I don't know if you guys have any objection to that, but I can talk about why I don't eat grains and I tell people not to eat grains. Um, and low glycemic. Mm-hmm. And- disclosure, I am not grain-free. <laughs> I'm the person in New Orleans when they're like, oops, this, this has gluten in it. I'm like, I'll have that. <laughs> I think you ate my roll. Probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I, I, I know that a lot of people and a lot of the, the modern grains, it's not as simple as, you know, the grains of the past. So. Right. So when we talk about that, we have a lot of gluten sensitivity, especially in this country. Right. And it's because what, just looking at wheat, let's just take wheat. The wheat of biblical times is icorn wheat. Yeah. It has 14 chromosomes. Fast forward to, I think, like the 1950s, 1960s, and we wanted more yield out of our wheat. And so we genetically um, modified the wheat. And what we consume in this country is called dwarf wheat. And it yields far more seeds than icorn wheat. It has 40 chromosomes. Wow. Wow. And our bodies are like, what is this? And our bodies are like, what is this? Yeah. So everyone is going to get some kind of inflammatory reaction to consuming dwarf wheat. 
I don't care who you are. Our genes have not caught up to modern day as we already Mm -hmm. discussed. So your body is not going to recognize that as food. Right. Some people who are more adaptable will have less response. The people who are not adaptable will have a big response, which is why we have so much gluten sensitivity in this country and why we have so much celiac. I remember when I watched Cooked, it was Michael Pollan, and it was a, mm-hmm. a five episode before, maybe four on Netflix years ago. And he was exploring bread making and, you know, the traditional bread making all around the world. And he talked to a doctor who said, you know, people who have a lot of trouble with, with gluten and it's in America when they go overseas and they're eating, you know, like European wheat. Right. It's, it's they, they don't European, have the problem. European wheat is icorn wheat. Yep. Right. So they're not using dwarf wheat. Mm-hmm. So dwarf wheat is a GMO product. Yes. And Europeans don't do the shit that we do in this country. That's true. Right. Yeah. They just don't. They don't feed their people chemicals. They're not trying to kill their people. Yeah. They they live much more natural lives. And it's only as the world becomes Americanized that they suffer from the diseases that we suffer from. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. It has to do, I talked about this in Cleanish. It has to do with, you know, all the government subsidies and the GMO and all yeah. the all yeah. of the things, the chemicals, the glyphosate, all of that. You know, yeah. you can't really separate what it is because it's all of it doing that. But it's I hear all, all the time from people who like go on a European vacation. They're an American, they go on a European vacation. And they're like, I ate all the time. I ate food. Yeah, I ate bread and pasta. I and came back. Food. I lost five pounds. Yeah. So another thing that you started to touch on before is that the bread making process in Europe and the bread making process in the United States is very different. Yeah. So in the United States, it's a two to four hour process. And that gluten never has a chance to break down. Whereas in Europe... Most bread making is a 24 to 48 it's, hour it fermented along the way. Yes. Yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's breaking down. Yeah. So different. That's fascinating. It well, really is. So let's circle back to breast cancer prevention. If you yeah. could give a person five things that they could do today to start incorporating in their life to help reduce their risk of breast cancer, what would that be? Yeah. So Where we started, breast health is health, right? Yes. So you're going to want to do the things that drive health. So the primary thing, because most of our exposure to the outside world is through what we eat and what we drink. Yeah. Right? So eating a whole food, plant-based, nutrient-dense diet will serve you well. What you eat is important, but... The studies are showing that when you eat is equally as important. So having that long period of fasting to allow your body to repair, because every time we eat, we're causing some degree of inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so we, it's chronic inflammation that builds up over time that leads to disease. Right. So we want to allow our bodies repair. Mm-hmm. So what you eat is important and, and limiting what you eat to a timed window that is somewhere between like six to eight hours, 10 hours maximum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everybody can do that 10 hours. 
Well, people can everybody I'm gonna say too, too unless they're children the day, but, you know. I think matters a lot um, because I wear an aura ring. And, um, you know, I mentioned I'm on vacation and we didn't get here until late last night. We ate dinner around eight o'clock last night mm-hmm. and my recovery well. was awful last night. Yeah. And yeah. it's because I ate too close to bed. Yeah. And so if, if I stop eating at six or 7 p.m., I'm way better than if I'm eating at eight or 9 p.m. as far as my sure. recovery overnight. For sure. And the Europeans have it right. Your biggest meal should be during the day when the sun is out and you should have a small meal at night. And that needs to be three hours before bedtime, needs to be three hours before bedtime. And so while we're on that topic, let's move on to the next most important thing, which is sleep. Yes. We are a society that values waking hours. And as a result, we have deep heart prioritized sleep. And what happens? We are sick sick, sick, right? So chronic short sleepers, people who sleep less than six hours a night are at risk for being overweight, for obesity, for cardiovascular disease, for depression, for anxiety, for Alzheimer's, for Parkinson's, for high blood pressure, for cancer. Right. Did I leave out autoimmune disease? I did. I should have said it. Okay. So as, as a nation, we have to prioritize sleep. We have to. We, we will not be able to keep up with the amount of illness that is just going to come from the fact that, I forget what the number is, I think 75 million Americans suffer from insomnia. Wow. 75 million. And you know, Jen, I had a hard time with insomnia all of a sudden that came on as a part of the menopausal transition. Yeah. And thank goodness for Tabitha Barber, because Tabitha took me aside as when we were in Park City and she said, hormone replacement, you got to do it. So she she did she got me started on that path. And yeah. now I'm sleeping eight hours a night, some nights yeah. nine hours. So it feels like a miracle. If we think about it. Estrogen is our on button Mm -hmm. and progesterone is our off button. And so that's why so many women, we get less and less good at making progesterone as we are perimenopausal, which is why so many women have heavy, heavy, heavy periods as they're getting to the end of their cycle because progesterone is the off button. And so you're not making enough progesterone. And so you're having all of this bleeding. Oh, that explains so much because I suffered from that. You know, it was awful, awful. Yeah. 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 And then progesterone has a profound effect on your brain. So if you don't have progesterone, you don't have the shut off button. And so you're perseverating and you're not able to get into all of the sleep cycles because you're not able to shut it down. And so progesterone is so important for sleep. And we should probably talk about hormone replacement because people um, think that hormone replacement causes breast cancer. That is mostly born out of the Women's Health Initiative study that was um, originally opened in 2000 and I think halted in 2002. I might be one year off. Maybe it was 2001 and halted in 2003. Um, and it was halted because the study's authors suspected that hormone replacement increased the risk of 
um, breast cancer, although their findings were not statistically significant. And even if that were true, breast cancer is a very long process in its right. development. So if they were seeing breast cancer and this study was allegedly on healthy women, although 70% of those women were obese or overweight or obese, um, and 50% were either former or currently smoking. So, you know, I can argue that this is mitigating factors. Yeah. But if they're seeing breast cancer in the um, first or second year of the study, those breast cancers were already there. Wow. That's such a good point. Because yeah. I've never, I've heard, you know, Dr. Deb talked to us about that study. Yeah. I've heard Huberman Lab talk about that study, but no one ever said what you just said, but you understand breast cancer so well. Breast cancer is something that actually got started a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. So it usually takes 10 years for the breast cancer to become clinically relevant in that, you know, we're able to see it on a mammogram or feel it on physical examination. So if we're seeing something two years after a study started, that 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 was there long ago, um, and so they have since retracted those findings. But like anything else, it's very hard to unring a bell. Yes. So right. twenty years of physicians believed that hormone replacement causes breast cancer. So what did they do? They stopped prescribing. They took all their patients off, and they said, you know, wait, it's unsafe and irresponsible, you can't be on hormone replacement. Has the incidence of breast cancer gone down? No. No. It's gone up, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, my primary care physician, I went in for a visit with him, I, you know, every six months or whatever. And I popped in, I was, he said, has anything changed since I saw you last? And I said, yes, I started, you know, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And he said, oh, that really increases your breast cancer, breast cancer. I really wouldn't do that. And I looked at him and I said, the women's health initiative, um, results that were published in 2003 have been debunked. And I am not concerned about that. The authors actually printed a retraction statement, but nobody reads the retraction. I I read it and like three other people. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I said, so I'm not concerned about that. So let's move on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can we talk about something that is possibly, you know, could be considered as controversial, but it's something that I think we need to mention, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, and that is screening. And we all have been told over and over and over again, get a mammogram, get a mammogram, get a mammogram. And, you know, I recently found a functional medicine doctor near me that lives here in my area, and um, they share the same philosophy I do towards mammograms. And what do we do for screening? Yeah. So um, let's first talk about the mammogram program, what it was intended to do and what it's actually doing. So in 1970, something three, four, five, we started the mammographic screening program with the intention of finding cancers early and saving women's lives. Right. Which is, right? we want to be able to save women's lives. That is a valuable Absolutely. thing to do. Yes. Absolutely. It was a noble cause and it was very well-intentioned and it was built on the foundational belief that breast cancer 
grows in a predictable fashion and so that you can find cancers early and therefore intervene and make a difference. Except that breast cancer doesn't follow those rules. There are some cancers that do, but breast cancer isn't one of them. So breast cancer doesn't start off little, grow to some critical point at which it may or may not metastasize, but if you find it before that point, you can you can make a difference. Breast cancer is unpredictable. There are breast cancer is what it is from the very beginning. So if it's going to be aggressive, it's aggressive from the very beginning. And there are people that have aggressive forms of breast cancer that it doesn't matter what you do or when you find it, you're not going to be able to help them. On the other end, there are breast cancers that can grow very, very large and they will never metastasize. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what you do. These people are going to do fine. And then there are a whole host in the middle where some people get a breast cancer that will never, ever, ever hurt them. They will never grow to a significant size. They will never metastasize. They don't need treatment. And so what happened with the mammogram program is that we decided we were going to screen everyone, treat everyone for breast cancer. And then they said, mammogram is the thing that saves lives. But here's the thing. We're treating thousands of women every year for a breast cancer that doesn't need treatment. And the treatments for breast cancer are not benign, for lack of a better word. Sorry about that. So the, the, the point you just made was the treatment can be worse than the problem of the cancer itself. So yeah. how, do, how does a woman find out or know? That's, you know, you're like, oh, cancer, we're going to just have to do all the treatment. Are there doctors, like I guess like you, who can, who can tell you what so, you should do? So this is what I think we should do about screening. And, and let me just also say about mammograms, they are radiation. And I never really understood using a test that causes cancer to screen for cancer. Right. That's that's always been my thinking. You know, I'm married to a medicinal chemist who doesn't like getting excess x-rays. Like he would be mad that I would take the boys to the dentist and they would have all these x-rays. He's like, you do not want to have all these things in your body. They're not good for you. Yeah. So so I'm I'm that crazy mom at the dentist where they're like, can we take films of your, of your son? And I'm like, uh, no. (laughs) <laughs> that was, that's, that's Chad. And because radiation is not good for your breast. And also, the, I think the pressure is also not good for your breast, right? I squeezing. I that's agree. what I've, I've read about it. And so everybody, look, I'm just, I don't want people to like be upset. Oh my gosh, Jen and Sherry are telling people not to get a mammogram. But I just want people to think differently. So you know, something like thermography. Do you, do you um, so recommend that? I love that? thermography. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say that, first of all, there are non- um, ionizing radiation uh, techniques that are coming on the market. I know of one of them. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, so I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. But I do know of a test that is FDA approved that is coming on the market that does that is able to screen the test. It's screen the breast better than MRI in 15 minutes without compression. Again, no radiation and is very inexpensive. Awesome. Okay. So 
how we screen the breasts is going to monumentally change in the next five years. That's monumentally really, really good change, news. Okay? Really good so news. So be hopeful. Don't get a mammogram in the meantime. I completely subscribe to living a healthy life, doing a monthly breast examination. So if you're still menstruating one week after your period starts, if you're, if you're post-menopausal, feel them on the first. Okay. If you don't know how to feel them. Go to my Instagram page, Dr. Jen Simmons. And every month at the, on the first of the month, I post a new video on how to examine your breasts. Perfect. Actually, I think I'll, I think I'll probably upload that to my YouTube page too. So again, Dr. Jen Simmons on my YouTube page or my Instagram page, if you want to know how to examine your breasts, I put a whole demonstration video there. So that prevention is the same, is the same for breast cancer, is the same for cardiac disease, is the same for anxiety and depression, is the same for cardiovascular disease. Prevention is just healthy living. It's eating the diet the way that we talked about. It is prioritizing sleep. It's making sure that you're living an active lifestyle, right? Sitting is the new smoking. Mm -hmm. And no exercising couch potatoes. Like you can't go to your exercise class and then sit the rest of the day. So I say for every 45 minutes that you sit, you got to go move for 15 minutes. Remember, again, we are modern beings living on a very old gene code. We only know to be active. And when you are inactive, it is quite inflammatory. And that is what we're trying to get away from. We're trying to get away from the inflammation. So if you're on a Zoom call for 45 minutes, go outside and walk around your driveway if you're home. Do if 15 minutes in- of cleaning, clean I something. Say, I have a life hack I'll share. And that is, I try to every hour, I don't do 15 minutes, I do 10 minutes. Every hour, I set my alarm to go off on my phone every 60 minutes. And when it goes off, excellent. I stop what I'm doing. And even if it's standing at my desk at work and marching in place for 10 minutes, I get up and march in place. I go walk up and down the hallway. That's it. Yeah. 10 minutes. You just hacked back it. to my work. Yep. And then the next yep. time my timer goes off, I up go you go. 10 minutes. Yep. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So the other thing we have to do is what we talked about before. We have to get out of that sympathetic fight or flight stage. We have to. We have to manage our stress. We're never going to get rid of the stress. The stress is always going to be there. It's there for everyone. There is no one's life that is green grass and stress-free. It just simply doesn't exist. Everyone has their shit, right? It's how you deal with it. So I happen to love meditation. I think it is an amazing tool. There are so many people that say to me, I can't meditate. I can't clear my mind. If you think that that's what meditation is, then you don't understand meditation. Meditation is about being in control of what comes in and what rolls off. And we all need that skill. There is no one that is born a meditator. It is a practice like anything else. And you can't expect to be good at it unless you practice. And we don't, we don't practice meditation to get good at meditation. We practice meditation to get good at life. Oh, I love that. That's huge. We are and almost out of time. Really oh, go quick. ahead. I'm, I just want to finish on meditation. 
Uh, people are sometimes like, well, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking of everything I have to do, da, 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 whatever. I, my other hack, get in the bathtub, take a shower. Love it. Get, I get my sauna because I literally, when you're in a space that's, you know, designated for stillness, you're meditating you whether you know it or not. Yes. Yeah. Love that. And the other thing you can do when you feel yourself switching that, 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 um, switch about to flip, or you're in that kind of drive sympathetic state, just change your state, walk outside, take some deep breaths. Like you can do it. You can change your state just by changing your physical space. Focus on gratitude. Take a few minutes to look around you and think about what you're grateful for. That, that does it too. 30 seconds to look around, you know, laugh, fake it until you make it right. Just laughing will change your chemistry and it doesn't even have to be, you can fake the laugh. It doesn't matter. There was a great story, a a great study on laughter, and it actually does change your chemistry. Love that. Um, Well, I'm going to laugh more then. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to make sure that we cover all the preventative things, um, living with purpose, living with meaning, having relationships uh, that are connected and positive, taking the trash out. Like we said, if you have relationships that aren't working for you, you got to get rid of them. You got to let go. Um, because they're hurting you and they're hurting your health. And the 800-pound gorilla in the room is this toxic world that we're living in. Yes. And there's toxins all around you. You'll never avoid them all, but you can avoid many of them. You can deplasticize your life, like not drink out of plastic bottles, not store in plastic, not cook in plastic. Make sure that you're not using nonstick cookware. Oh, yeah. You can go through the houses of your, uh, go through your house, go through the rooms of your house and look at the products that you're using on your skin to clean your home, to clean your laundry. And as you run out one by one, get rid of the the toxic things and replace them with something that's better, that's greener. You are preaching to the choir. That is the whole book cleanish in a nutshell is how to that's how to do excellent. that around your home. Yeah. And and that it doesn't need to be hard and it's it's one thing at a time and, mm-hmm. and you can do it. Well, Jen, it has been so delightful to be here with you today and and understand that. You know, there are some things we can do and, you know, yes, screening is important. Again, I want to come back to the whole idea. And I'm sure there are people listening that are feeling shocked to hear that perhaps there's another way besides a mammogram to screen, but they're out there. There are doctors using, using other tools to screen. Thermography is available now. And I, and I love thermography, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I, what I want everyone's take home to be from this talk is that you have so much more power than you think. I love that. Yes. Right? Don't give it away. Don't farm it out because no one is going to care about you as much as you care about you. No one can take care of you the way that you can take care of you. And health is attainable. Health is achievable, but health happens at home and only you can get it. It is an active process. It's something that you have to go out and get. You're not going to passively be healthy, but at the end of the day, you're worth it. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And now it's time for our listener-led lesson, 
It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. And today's listener-led lesson comes from Crystal Irwin. She says, hello, I want it to be known that on April 5th, 2023, I was in a horrible car accident where I was hit on the driver's side by an F-550. And that's like a really big truck, right? right? Like a giant Ford truck, right, Sherry? Yes. Oh, it's and like a commercial said, type Yeah, she truck. said it's an 8,000-pound truck, and it was going 60 miles an hour. I mean, that sounds awful. She said, by the grace of God and Honda, my Acura MDX saved my life. I originally bought this vehicle because of the safety features it offers. I have two small children, ages eight and six, and I am thankful daily that they were not in the car with me that day. When the police arrived on the scene, they expected me to already be dead. However, when the crash happened, my steering wheel airbag, seat airbag, foot airbag, and my side curtain airbag deployed, effectively saving my life. I crawled out through the passenger side of my vehicle and survived with only a concussion, a bone contusion in my neck, as well as my shoulder, and a few cuts and bruises. My goal is to get the message out about the safety of an Acura. If I can save even one life by spreading the word, then all of this is worth it. Being on the road is dangerous. Choosing a safe vehicle is a must. And this is not brought to you by Acura. <laughs> I wanted to say that. I actually saw Did you see the photos of this in the community, I Sherry? Did. Crystal is a member of the Delay Don't Deny community, and she actually shared um, the photos of her car with us mm-hmm. in there, and it looked awful. Yeah, she was so impressed that she actually reached out to Honda and sent them pictures of her car, and she told them, like, they can use it in any safety campaigns that they that they want. Wow. Well, at the end of each show, we share a meaningful quote from a listener, and today we have a quote shared from Patty Kelly, as well as a book recommendation. The quote is, the sword despises the blacksmith until it's time for battle. And that was Drake from the book, The Light After Death by Vincent Todd Tolman. She said, I'd also like to recommend this book. It is the incredible story about a young man that had died in a locked Dairy Queen bathroom. It was several minutes before he was found many minutes more before paramedics arrived and pronounced him dead. They placed him in a body bag and loaded into the ambulance, and it wasn't until they had driven off that a rookie paramedic had a strong urge to defibrillate him. He was in a coma for several days, and he came out of his coma with no medical issues. Vincent relays his experience from the time he died until the time he came out of his coma. I read it once, and I listened to it on Audible twice. Wow. Sounds very interesting. The Light After Death by Vincent Todd Tolman. That definitely sounds like something I would like to read. I had to laugh when I, internally, I had a hard time not laughing out loud when I said the sword despises the blacksmith. Why? My husband pronounces sword, sword. Sword. (laughs) Well, you did a good job and you didn't (laughs) pronounce it sword. (laughs) Well, in his defense, it really should be pronounced sword. <laughs> well, you know what? Oh, so we've married, uh, it would be nine years in July, and he, his, somebody got his credit card number, like maybe from a gas pump, you know, yeah. a copy, spent a bunch of stuff at walmart.com. And so he was trying to get his money back from the bank and all that. And every time he would give his email address, how do you say the email address that's spelled Y-A-H-O-O. Yahoo. Thank you. Because <laughs> that is how it is said. Yahoo. Nope. Not my husband. 
it's Yahoo, Yahoo. <laughs> and I'm in the kitchen and I'm like, he did not yeah. say that. Oh no, he said it like three times, Yahoo. And I said, honey, it's Yahoo. And he's like, that's what I said. And I'm like, no, you said Yahoo. And he's like, well, same difference. I'm like, no, no, no it's, it's pronounced yaw, not yeah. It's not so, a yak. So funny. <laughs> well, I love, love that. my husband, but he yeah. makes me laugh. Well, that's that's anyway. the, we want a husband that makes us laugh, right? Well, he does. He keeps things interesting. Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to have you join us in the private Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter. Your membership ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Reviews really do help us reach new listeners. We're a community-driven podcast, and here's how you can be a part of our show each week. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com or use the link in show notes and then listen each week to hear your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.